Hello, welcome to episode 66 of the Theatrical Mustang podcast. This is Alina here in for Katie Woodzik. On today's episode, I get to visit with Tim Gowron, and he currently plays Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart in the Seattle Public Theater's current production of Amadeus. Tim and I talk about theater and acting and the historical context of Mozart's world and the challenges of creating an authentic character from such an icon. I hope you enjoy. Amadeus runs at the Seattle Public Theater now through February 21st. Tickets are selling fast, so book yours today. Just head to seattlepublictheater.org to reserve your seats. And that's theater spelled with E-R, not R-E. So seattlepublictheater.org, and they've got tickets there. But they really are selling super fast. They just had to add two performances, so book soon. Thank you to today's sponsor, Island Shakespeare Festival. ISF is Whidbey Island's professional regional repertory theater. Their 2016 summer season runs July 8th to September 11th with As You Like It, directed by artistic director Susanna Rose Woods, Julius Caesar, directed by award-winning Seattle director Corey McDaniel, who's also the producing artistic director of Theater 22, and finally Julie Beckman will direct her award-winning adaptation of Jane Eyre, which premiered at Book It Rep in 1999. For more information about Island Shakespeare Festival, visit their website at www.islandshakespearefest.org and check out their Facebook page. And we've also just launched the 2016 membership drive, so check that out as well. Hello, thank you for joining me today. This is Olina filling in for Katie Woodzik. She's in a show, you may have guessed, so um, you've got me a lot in the next few weeks. Uh, I am here today with Tim Gowron, who plays Mozart in Amadeus at the Seattle Public Theater. So I'm really excited to talk to him today. He's a Seattle veteran actor. Um, so I'm hoping to get some really great insight in what I, I don't know about great insight, but we'll see. <laughs> we will see. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how how you got started in theater, kind of what your theatrical life has been? Oh, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was raised around it. My dad was an actor, director, teacher uh, at Iowa State University. He was uh, head of the speech and theater department. I started schmacked in seven, eight, and uh, was just around it, ran lines with college students, and, and then ended up kind of falling in love with that. And then uh, when my parents split, I did the, you know, 10-year-old rebellious thing and was like, ah, I'm not doing the shit that he does. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with that. I didn't act for a long time. I, uh, high school, I uh, kind of went another route. I was a, you know, punk rock lover and um, gymnast and boxer. Then when I moved out here, uh, I just took theaters and elective. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give this a go. And then realized how much I loved it. And I was okay at it. And um, then pursued it from there, was um, accepted into some schools on the East Coast, and how oh, should I phrase this nicely? My personal life was in a bit of turmoil, <laughs> uh, and ended up uh, coming back here and getting my life together. And then just started working French. I, I worked the first show with a now defunct company called Theatre Babylon, 
we shared a space on Capitol Hill with a company called Theater on the Influence, where I met amazingly wonderful people who are great actors and still great friends. Mm -hmm. Jen Taylor, Chuck Leggett, those guys. Um, and then just, uh, yeah, work my ass off. And, and um, a lot of times I wonder, it's like maybe I was just in the right place at the right time. Mm. I auditioned, um, I did the TPS Generals and uh, did something that um, my cat is actually rolling around <laughs> right here, so she needs some love. Um, I did a couple pieces that I think upset a lot of people. They weren't very politically correct. And literally the next day I got a call from ACT asking if I wanted to understudy Christmas Carol. How did you get that from there? And uh, it was really nice because they said, you know, we, we've seen you be the nice guy and we know you can do that. And it was nice to see that you have absolutely no problem embracing the, the darker side of things. Hmm, interesting. Uh, so in doing some stuff that maybe got people's attention because of political statements, that sort of... You know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't uh, premeditated, really. Sure. It was more... These are great pieces, uh -huh. and now playing a lot of bad guys, I find that interesting. I find it more interesting. Someone else's opinion that you don't agree with, that's how working you know, in different size houses kind of mm -hmm. came to be, that a lot of it has to do with act and how great they've been. Yeah, so I guess, uh, and then I'm, I'm very fortunate in being able to sort of straddle smaller houses and larger houses and getting opportunities that... Uh, I'm exceptionally grateful for. Mm -hmm. So that in the non-reader's digest is sort of that story. Yeah. So you're currently working on I'm Amadeus. I'm currently working on Amadeus at Seattle Public. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? And it's a, it seems to be a different approach a little bit. As far as? To, it looks, from the photos, it looks a little modern in, in different ways than I think that... Has been. I, I don't I don't know if that decision was made based on uh, monetary constraints. Uh -huh. I mean, those costumes, those period oh, costumes. And Absolutely. Co and it's just, it's you know, for a small theater, it's almost impossible to yeah. do. I think with Chelsea Cook, who is our costume designer, I think what she wanted really was... Oh, is she really? Yeah. yeah. So, she's great. Yay, Chelsea! She's I the know, best! She's ISF awesome. loves her. We love her. I, um, I worked with her first, I think, That's at, great. In, at Intamon during one cool. of the summer seasons and mm -hmm. she's just you know she's a hoot she loves making fun of me which I appreciate more than you know and just really smart and really good very very good at what she does she yes and telling the story through clothing I, she's I think that yes. she's representing sort of the time period but out of time if yeah. that makes any sense yeah it does I think so the process for me personally wasn't any different carriage language I mean Jaffer was smart enough to write a really great contemporary play. Yeah. I mean, that you, yes. can, you can set it anywhere you want. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. The language is very modern yep. and comfortable to a modern ear. Yeah. You don't have to adjust nope. in hearing it or in speaking it, I imagine. And those kind of playing with status and power is all still... Yeah, I mean, it's modern, applicable like at any period timeless. of time. There are people yeah. that, you know, it's sort of... And it's it's great with Mozart, because he really just detested. I mean, for a while I was thinking, well, 
he just doesn't really like the idea of titles and things like he actually really hated that idea mm. and having to kowtow to people who he can were considered in power mm-hmm. um in my mind at least working well in, in in life too is that there seems to be at least for me people who always want to be in power and people who hate people who are in power i mean if i simplify it to that and it was great to be able to be someone who realizes what people in power can get him but doesn't really give a shit mm-hmm. about who it is and has no problem calling people out on it i think that was a that was a great thing that that Schaffer did it's just a really smart well written play yes it is how has the process been different in playing a character that is a real person was a real person in history has now our modern lens attached to this real-life human yes. who created this body of work. Yeah. It isn't any different other than some of the stuff I don't have to make up for myself. Right. That, yeah, the, that, that is historical fact. Yeah, right. Um, you know, the play has taken some liberties with things, at, of course. Uh-huh. Um, timeline and, and sort of what he was sick with towards the end, how he passed... Taking into account, you know, he wrote over 600 works, so it's, in all honesty, and some of them I, I didn't know in the play. One that I didn't know is now my new favorite, Cosi Fantuti, um, which is just a lovely, lovely part of an opera. And I think, for me, having it documented his relationship with his dad and sort of how that started off and how it evolved and devolved and then re-evolved being essentially a cash cow for the family, being toured around Europe as a child, doing circus tricks, playing things blindfolded with one hand and covering his hands, hearing some a piece of music once, covering his hands over the keyboard and, and having him play it. Those things for me are vital in that that helps to, to shape who this guy was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this expectation of perfection. Yeah, I mean, and that was, you know, writing, you know, so many things when he was a child Mm -hmm. um, and those expectations. And then it's like any artist, you're going to fail on occasion. You're going to. I mean, I I mean, I can't speak for anybody else out there. I know I have failed miserably and it sucks. But if I look at it, it's actually a really great thing of I didn't work hard enough or I didn't take this into account or and back in the day, I would kick the living shit out of myself and now it's more of a I, I still do but then I can let it go I was talking to a friend of mine who has played you know a wide range of characters as, as you know we're lucky to do on occasion and we were discussing the, the, the idea of Mozart and we're talking about well known roles you know the Hal from Henry IV and uh, Hamlet and uh, Streetcar Named Desire mm-hmm. um and he was saying that most of the time it's really great, even in those big roles, because everybody has their own. They have like, oh, well, I saw Dan Donahue at OSF play Hamlet, or Mel Gibson is my great Hamlet, or Dan yeah, I mean he's <laughs> yeah. great, yeah, or Kenneth Branagh is my Hamlet, uh-huh. or these things. Sure, um, yeah. In this one, I don't know a lot of people that have seen the play, and Tom Hulse is people's Mozart. That laugh, mm-hmm. that right. wonderful, wonderful performance that those two in that film, along with everybody else in it, but Jeffrey Jones as well as the Emperor, were, 
we're, we're, we're spot on and wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is but, a beautiful, beautiful film. But when you think of Amadeus, at least I, I immediately thought of Tom Hulse. Yeah. And I think the fear of, and I haven't watched the film since it first came out. Uh-huh. I saw it in the theater mm-hmm. and I, I haven't watched it since just because I didn't need to see, I didn't want to see it again. Right. And then now getting, doing this, I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. So it was, the, the fear is abated a little bit or has taken another route. I was scared out of my mind mm-hmm. when this came. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a good idea. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's really hard. That is a huge, even for those iconic roles where people do them all the time. So in a way, there's less pressure to do it, you know, yeah. to fulfill someone's expectation. When I played Juliet, I, that's my favorite play. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet yeah. when I was four years old. Like, that is my, that is why I'm an actor. Yeah. So playing that role for me was like, for a year leading up to it, just, oh my God, I'm, I'm not Olivia Hussey. I'm, yeah. I'm not. That's not me. Nope. How am I ever going to do this justice yeah. for myself? That is a huge pressure. Trying to realize that, you know, this isn't about me mm-hmm. is... Uh, really great in theory and then the the constant sort of I'm going to fail I'm going to fail in telling this story Uh and realizing to do justice to this person to the play that is written be available to my fellow actors that's what I need to be oh that's what you have to like really check back into those fundamentals of telling the story listening you know what's my objective and that like letting go of all of the superficial layers yeah. and finding that like the root of it and the truth of it. Yeah, and it's which is great. Then it does you know great. It's yay, it's much easier said than done. Exactly. Where it's yeah. like oh I got, no this is what and then you start getting in your or at yes. least I start getting in my head and going well that I well now that moment I I need to do this. just Tim just stop. Yeah. Just listen and stay in the moment. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do. And you know what we were talking about earlier with the modern sort of writing, the idea of having a, a court and those things, that's been really, really foreign for me. The idea of constantly having to bow down to someone uh-huh. in power that you don't respect, which, God willing, won't happen for the next four years after the election. But, anyway. <laughs> um, uh, Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. The point being that Having to get out of myself and tell the story and realize, oh, these were the way, this is the way that people showed respect at the time. Uh huh. It's still difficult for me, you know, at being getting out of myself and realizing that's how they did it at the time. If that makes any sense to what it we does. Were talking about. Yeah, yeah, it does. I think it's so interesting because we take Shakespeare out of context all the time. Yes. You know, that's like. Yeah, I mean, kind of weird if you don't. At you this point, can set it in. I mean, when we did measure for measure, uh-huh. setting it in sort of inner city, and I always thought of it as sort of Detroit, and you know, turning Lucio into a crack smoking, right? You know, well, he was yeah, he was just he was a, a drug addict. Uh-huh. I mean, which was great for that. Des sort of came with sort of an idea, and then just a Tim, you know, try and come up with that. So, uh-huh. but that's that's not a here nor there. Well, yeah. but I think. It's interesting because with with Shakespeare, we usually do that to find 
you know, what's relevant in this situation. Like, let's explore this story and these human conditions in this new context and what resonates. Yes. And so it's interesting with something that's not Shakespeare that is very much written about a specific moment in history, mm-hmm. which some of Shakespeare is too, you know? Yes. It's, it's interesting to me to what that exploration is. And, I mean, you know, and I think talking that... about the context of, of how people showed respect and power yes. and all of that, then with this modern lens a little bit, has it been... In the process, have you, like, talked about it in contemporary ways? And Yes. There's been much more... I, I think the time period-wise was sort of individual research. For me, reading this biography that took me forever, to be honest with you. The first 150 pages took me three and a half weeks. Biography of Mozart? Yeah. Um, I saw it. Uh, Solomon... There, but... <laughs> Maynard Solomon. And it's, it's a... It's a, it's a a very, very, very exhaustive and wonderful biography. The first 150 pages were essentially just all numbers about what, as when he was seven, what he made for his family and where they wow. went. And it was like, I don't, um, I understand, you know, sort of how trying it was, especially for a kid, but I, was like, I don't care. I don't. Uh, getting into his writing and relationships and those things, that's where it was important to me. Yes. And then to approach this as, a contemporary man uh-huh. was, I mean, in, in all reality, it's the only way you can do it. I, I can only bring some of my experience and what I know about that time period. The rest... The rest is you yeah. and who you are, and that's what makes a play so amazing. Indeed. Because every actor is going to bring... And it's story. funny when, when people... I, I don't... And I think it has to do with, you know, Shakespeare's wonderful, wonderful writing in that it's, a lot of it is timeless. You can set it wherever you want if there's a reason for it. There's not right. a reason for it. It's just for the fact that either, A, I don't know what to do other than try and shock right. people, then, I mean, that's just nonsense. Um, I think this play, honestly, it could be said at any time. Mozart was a rock star. You, I mean, he was one of the first real rock stars. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And was known for it at the time, and then, you know, fell out of fashion, uh-huh. like rock stars do. Right. But that idea of celebrity, yep. you know, and how we treat celebrities and the kind of power celebrities have mm-hmm. compared to politicians. He was, it's very interesting. He was given a lot of leeway in court until he uh-huh. wasn't. And for me, I feel like listening to so much of this, but then listening to a lot of other stuff, he he's very much reminds me of an Iggy Pop in that he, he kind of knew what he had to do to be accepted in certain circles and then once he was accepted in those circles, really then voiced his opinion about things. So he's just like, I'm now, now I got a bit of a, a podium to put it on, and this is how I feel. And I respect them both exactly the same amount, which is very highly. So, In relating to the other characters, how do you feel like this, this context informs that? Talking about how respect and, you know, power and stuff, going back to that a little bit, with... I think this idea of modern politics and all of that and how, like, our modern court, yes. kind of, and that world functions yeah. versus how that historical court functioned. I think, then, I think in the grand context of politics, I don't know. I think <laughs> uh, the way that I look at it is a real, true genius artist that is forced to kowtow to a record company Uh or the people 
that are in charge of a record company or the fellow artists that are on that record label that are doing extraordinarily well but can't write a song to save their ass. It's a lot like that. The relationship with Mozart and Salieri Mm -hmm. is a lot like that. Salieri actually, he wrote some wonderful music and was extraordinarily successful during his time. He knew what the emperor at the time could handle. And I don't know if he, I don't think, I don't know what type of music he could handle. uh That there was, Mozart's music is extremely complex and strange harmonies and time signatures that are just come out it's of nowhere. It's new. It's yeah. new. It's new. It's like the beginning of rock and roll. I think that's such a great parallel. Yes. And it's like any a painter that's coming out or any artist uh-huh. that's coming out with something new that people know is wonderful but just can't quite grasp it. Right. And they know what's easy and they yeah. know what they like. And that's where I think the relationship with people in power really, really troubles him. Uh-huh. Where I need, I need to do these things to make a living. I need to have students. I need to do this so I can help support my wife and my child. But then be able to really pursue what I what I really want to do. And if you don't fit into the idea of the person that has easy approval and is a bit of an ass kisser, you're not going to be able to make that living. I don't know what it's like to be a genius. I don't. And that's what's been, that's a, been another thing that's been really hard, is that I, I do okay at certain things. Mm-hmm. I'm not a certified genius, and I have absolutely no idea what that's like. And having to deal with people that aren't your intellectual or artistic uh, uh, you know, equivalent has got to be insanely frustrating. I can't, I can't imagine it. I hope that in a roundabout way that answers that. Yeah, it does. It does. I think that's really interesting as well, that idea of genius and what that means for a person and, like, how they function in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's... There's so many that that can't, that don't... Don't know how to have the social graces. Yeah. If it is... If it's something that is all-consuming or all-consuming at certain times... Mm -hmm. I mean... The thing with Mozart is, too, is that he was super playful, super fun, constantly... I mean, he was just a dirty, dirty dude. The amount of, like, letters that have stuck around. And mm. to his, you know, girlfriend at the time, his sister, his, it, I mean, even his dad later on. Um, so he had the ability to also do that, but did not suffer fools well. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly don't know how, how a genius makes it in the world. Um, well, it seems in our culture very isolating, especially in the arts. Very um, can can be abused by the powers that be, yes. and often is. And um, then that genius finds other ways to yeah. either not have to relate to other people, mm-hmm. or you know, use substances to absolutely tone that down and. I, I mean, I don't know, I can, I I understand the idea of having to distort or quell ideas and impulses by using something outside of yourself. That I, that I completely understand because it can be, I'm guessing, overwhelming in that all of these ideas and all these thoughts and 
all these... I mean, that's what he says later on when he's trying to write um, the Requiem. The things are just leaving him. And it's, it, he can't catch the notes. Mm. And he's physically sick at that time. He is horribly... He's just drinking all the time. And so to have to squash that to sort of fit in has to be excruciating. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no way of, of, of getting away from those thoughts mm-hmm. um, once they're in there. That I, that I get. Yeah. So. To squash that to fit in, but then also to have this expectation of continuing to produce yes. groundbreaking work. Like, how, how do you do both? I, yeah, and I don't know. And, and, and I question it, too, when it comes to, you know, fellow actors that I admire and also uh, musicians. And in myself, I, I, I wonder, um, is there a finite number of ideas or emotions mm. that I can access and then it's just tapped out. Is that, I mean, is that how it is? And I, I hope not. Mm. That's, I guess that's a large fear for me personally, where it is, I'm, when you're just, I, I guess I'm done. I'm done. That there's no, there's, there's nothing left in the well. That turned weird, sorry. <laughs> it turned really strange. Well, but I think that's the discussion of being an artist and that's a constant fear, right? Yes. For, at least for me personally. Probably all artists. I would imagine. I don't think you're alone in that. I think, you know, we have an expectation of ourselves to keep creating and discovering. And does that end? And it's like I said, I mean, there are times that you're going to fail. And the perfect example for Mm -hmm. me is, you know, um, you know, recently with David Bowie's death, where it really was that sort of genius um, musician, poet, and then had lags. I mean, there are things... Um, and then this final album, I was, it, I mean, it, 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 it messed me up mm-hmm. in that it was, I mean, he was a, he was a true artist that knew timing as well. He knew what was coming and, um, but he put out a great, great fucking last album. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, a, it's so that was not only horrible and sad, but at the same time, that also was a, you never know, mm-hmm. you never know what when inspiration is going to come and might stick with you throughout. Yeah. So thank you, Mr. Bowie, for a bit of um, inspiration and, and that things will continue. Yeah. What is, taking that back to Mozart and the end of his life, do you see comparisons there? And was he creative at the end? Or He was. I mean, he was in the midst of, you know, writing uh Requiem. How and old was he when he? He was thirty-five. When he thirty-five. Died. So. Um, Is it clear? It's not really clear yeah. from from the research that I did. Uh, rheumatic fever and probably syphilis. He he liked the ladies a lot, and the the only description that I've seen of his actual death was from I think his son or his nephew-in-law or I, I don't remember who it was, but he was I mean he was essentially rotting from the inside. He was bloated and horrible and apparently he sat up, vomited massive amounts of brown something and died right there and was not in fashion at the time and Baron von Sweeten, um, who was an advocate and a Mason Lodge brother of his, paid for his pauper's funeral that he was buried with 20 other people in a lime pit. Mozart. Mozart. Wow. Yeah. It, um, and with that requiem and the, the terror 
Also, the lovely sort of letting go that he wrote while he was sick is very similar to that. He, um, in the play, you know, he's writing at the same time as the Requiem, he's also writing The Magic Flute, which is just an amazingly life-affirming, wonderful fantasy that's just crazy weird. So, yeah, I mean, he was hugely productive at, mm-hmm. towards the end um, and was some of the best opera that's ever been written, in, in my opinion. I, and I'm by no means my opera aficionado. So, yeah, I mean, there were things, you know, when he was writing the, the string concertos and when he wasn't popular, but people like Hayden were saying, this is the greatest piece of music I've ever heard. But it was a, it was a downtime, it was a lag time where people just didn't, like, we don't, the, the melodies are weird. The, I can't figure out where to clap because there's no, like, definitive bang at the end. And, I mean, that's the thing that I really, really respect for many reasons. But the thing that I respect about him is he, sometimes he did what he had to do, like we were talking about. And then other times, most of the time, he did what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's such an interesting difference. Yeah. And parallel. What, what he had to do and needed to do. Yeah. The artist wouldn't need to be done. Yeah, beautiful distinction. Yeah. Versus what society or, you know, the ears that decide what's good. And when the stars align, it's it works together, which doesn't happen very often. Uh-huh. That's I think that that's part of the reason that a lot of people are sort of recognized after the fact, after they're they're gone. Which sucks. It sucks for the person. It sucks for society that you, you can't thank the person one way or another while they're still here, mm-hmm. which, it sucks. That part sucks. I don't like that. I had something I was going to ask, and I can't remember now what it was about... Oh, what what is the what is time frame of the play? How many years? When you first meet Mozart, he's 26. So okay. it's So it's nine years. Uh-huh. Um, 26 at kind of the height of his no, fame? No, when he first comes to court. Moving? Okay. Um... I mean, he's, he's known around, uh-huh. um, you know, he's written all this stuff as a child, but then right. getting his first commission from the emperor in, uh, he's in Salzburg and then goes to Vienna. In the biography, he travels to Paris, he goes to England as well. Um, so it's, it doesn't feel that long in the play. It feels much more immediate. Uh-huh. Um, and his personality doesn't change that much. He's a very gleeful guy when he, you know, he's very... First reading it, I kept thinking, this is the quintessential live every day like it's your last because someday you're going to be right. Hmm. That it really is about the joy in the world. And then as things go on, of course, he sees other aspects that he, that he does not like. So the span of the years, at least for me, doesn't really come into play. Um... The success and failures, that's 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 sort of the ups and downs. That's where yeah. the years come in. And Salieri has this great thing about how, like I was saying, when he was writing, you know, those concertos that uh, Haydn was like, this is amazing. Salieri at the time was actually a much more successful composer. His stuff was all over Europe. And it was easy to listen to. Was, oh, okay. This is, I can, I can get behind this Taylor Swift-esque sort of, pop music. Okay. Which is funny to think that it was pop music at the time, but it was. Right, right, yeah. So, and I mean, the joy of of doing this for me has been in being back at the bathhouse 
working with Shauna, and then the rest of the amazing cast. I mean, Brandon Simmons is uh, not only wonderful, but an invaluable knowledge source about classical music and mm. Mozart. He's been playing for years, and he's giving me compo- uh, uh, conducting lessons, which has been great. Cool. And scary as fuck. <laughs> I just don't, I don't, you know, don't want it to be a, a giant caricature. And talking with Brandon, he was like, well, you wouldn't even conduct like this at all at the time. You'd have a staff, and you would just bang out the time. I was like, well, why can't I do that? Oh, I'm very theatrical. Um, <laughs> And, you know, Keiko, as my wife, has just been... I didn't I didn't really know her. And uh, we hit it off swimmingly almost immediately. Open and, and loving and uh, playful and vicious and always right there. Um, and this is a role Brandon's wanted to play since he was 15 or something. Mm. I, I, I can't think of anyone better suited. And it's great because our... Characters and our acting styles are extraordinarily different. He's very, very, very precise and very specific early on. And I'm much more of a shotgun approach. I will just try a whole bunch of shit and have a director go, no, no, no. All right, that might work. No, God, no, Tim, no. Um, I don't know if that was a blatant shout out to my fellow castmates, but. I don't care. That's great. No, yes, true. please. Because it's true. Yeah. And Shauna's been great. You know, I haven't worked with her since the wedding story years ago. And smart and detailed. And the funnest thing is watching her as sort of a fan of the play and the music. And the, the joy that she brings into the room. And super knowledgeable and kind of winds you up and lets you play. And then goes, like I was saying, mm-hmm. no. Him, no, you can't do that. Or that works. And then specifically going, you need to do this now. It's like, oh shit, okay, so. <laughs> I've been very fortunate, so. Have you, do you feel like in the process you've made specific choices on um, having this modern context on like what that balance is? And I mean, I'm sure you've made specific choices, but um, how the modern informs the story being set in a specific time. I'm interested in kind of how that's working and um yes. Like are are in when you're in a scene, are you in 2016 or are you in No, that like, in my in my head I'm still you talked about I'm it still in the 1700s. Okay. Um in setting and certain styles. The great thing that I get to do is that I don't have to succumb to all the formality bullshit that everybody else has to. The meeting of the emperor, that very theatrical bowing and carrying oneself in a certain way uh, gets thrown by the wayside almost immediately. Mm. Um, For me, uh, other characters have to consistently be in that vein of of power. It's very similar to, to... my approach with Shakespeare as far as the language is concerned. Uh-huh. And sometimes it gets me in trouble um, in that I don't want to hold anything preciously. I want the poetry to come out, but it has to be the way this person talks on the daily. It has to. And a lot of times I get in trouble because I'll follow some of the rules 
and then I'll throw them all out and I won't pick them back up again. How so? The, the iambic, uh -huh. the following punctuation perfectly, those, the juxtaposing of um, the, the poetry in Shakespeare, um, if it suits the character, yeah. If not, I, I can't, I can't say poetry for poetry's sake. If it comes out of his mouth and it's poetry, great. But it's never, in, unless it's a, a love scene or a sedu seduction scene or someone that's speaking heightened language for the sake of poetry, I usually find that those things are written, it's just like a song in a musical. Yeah. It's the only way they can express themselves. That's absolutely the only way. It's a really good point. But at the same time, it has to, you have to make it your own. You have to, yeah. It has to be honest to that person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And unless you're trying to impress someone, honestly, it's, it's That's bullshit. such a cool way to look at it, <sighs> trying to impress someone. Yeah. That's really, that's a great point. That's... It in itself is a tactic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the way that it has to be. <laughs> cool. And, and I'm lucky that this play was written a couple of times, to be honest with you, um, and that the, the formality... It's just like any, being in any situation where you're, where someone of higher status, uh -huh. that's how I look at it. That it would be, if, if Joe Papp was still alive and I met him, you know, at the, the public theater in New York, there would be, I would carry myself differently until, you know, if it ever happened, I got to know him. And then if it had to stand on ceremony, we probably wouldn't interact very mm -hmm. much. I don't, I don't do well with it. I'm bad at it. That part, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm similar to Mozart in that I'll, I'll try and do it, but if I have to consistently kiss your ass, it's not going to work because it looks like I'm kissing your ass, so you're going to know I'm doing it. So what's the point? <laughs> it's just, I mean, that, that's where the timelessness comes in for me. And that these things, this, this shit has gone on forever. Yeah. And to bring it into an updated time doesn't affect me in the uh -huh. least bit other than the heels on my shoes which are killing me <laughs> but other than that i don't uh i mean there there are certain things when you're in the presence of someone there's a certain way you sit in a chair there's a certain way that you have seat yourself in a chair mm -hmm. those those things are very specific to that time um i get to deal with the court and then they immediately go away, and then it's just me and Salieri. Fellow artists, fellow composers. Then it's just two dudes getting to talk shit. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's what's really smart about this play, too. Yeah. That he can do that. That he yeah. can jump, go, these are the different situations that people are put in. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, it does, really, yeah. It's a an really long form. That. <laughs> that's great. That's fine. It was a question, I think, that needed... <laughs> answers. <laughs> uh, so kind of moving away from this play and still in this vein, um, what are some, I guess still with this play, what are some other challenges that have come up with this specific role compared to other roles you've played? This one specifically, one of the biggest challenges is, in, makes me sound like a horrible pessimist, but is in <laughs> sort of embracing the joy embracing that I have the tendency to slip into dark fairly fairly uh -huh. quickly and fairly easily as some people know it the Tim Gowan easy access rage button 
which is just, <laughs> it doesn't, that one goes quick. I think, luckily, as I've gotten older in real life, the rage button is, 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 a little, is tamped down a little bit. Um, the unbridled joy and fun, that's been, a, that's been a challenge for me. That one's been rough. At this point in your career, do you still generally play darker characters? I'm... Is that, like, how you market yourself usually no, in the kind of roles you go No, for? I mean, and that's... I mean, that's... I have a huge issue with, you know, marketing myself as an actor anyway. I mean, it's like, I'm a fucking yeah, it's actor. really not a fun thing to do. Yeah, it's very no, hard. I mean, so. I'm an actor. Yeah. Give me a chance. And, you know, there are certain people that will be like, oh, Tim can do a period piece, although he has... He's covered in tattoos and, you know, there's makeup. I mean, mm-hmm. and... Some directors who I've worked with many times can see that and go, oh, well, set it in this. But one of my favorite things is when a director that you've worked with or a company that you've worked with um, a very short time previously will be shocked that you you can do certain things. That it's a couple of years ago, a, a close friend of mine and director was, you're really funny in this. Comedy two years ago. <laughs> Thank you, but yeah, I I don't. Um, I've been fortunate to to a wide range of characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's you know, that's what's great. I I yeah, I would say that darker is more accessible. Something maybe, yeah. something that I enjoy more. Um, mm-hmm. and my wife recently said she's. It was so lovely to see you embrace an innocence and a joyful quality. And that was weird and nice to hear in that, oh, that's still, that's still there. Because, you know, when you get older and you get a little more, not jaded, but I mean, you get less naive about mm-hmm. certain things, which I guess in turn can make you jaded, but that's been, that's been a big challenge for me. And recently, just in the last, you know, few years, I've been able to I was a horrible, horrible laugher on stage. Horrible at it. It was just like, this is bullshit and I'm bad at it. I know it. <laughs> it, it was one of those things. And you mean when your character would need to laugh? Yeah, it was really hard that. for me. Yeah, it's harder, it's harder than crying. And at like, <laughs> in the last couple of years, I have found it, finding that joy in the moment and actually being able to belly laugh on stage mm. has been exceptionally freeing. Oh, um, I bet. Yeah. And I don't know... I mean, I, I know there are, there are mitigating factors in my real life that have helped for that, but those, I mean, those are the challenges you meet all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what's great about being an actor. You get to go, wow, I'm really okay. I'm not comfortable with this. You better do it. I mean, this role came up, and I'm lucky to consider, you know, some people in town as my really good friends. People that are honestly better than I am. Better better actors that consistently will say, well, are you scared of it? Well, then you got to do that. <laughs> I mean, the Bob Wrights, you know, the, the Chuck Leggett's, the Gene Paulson's, those people that are older and smarter and better. That's been one of the great things about being in this town and also being open to other people's opinion that I value. And that it's the people that I respect the most are the ones that don't take that easy route. I mean, they're, they're, I don't want to go to bed at night and be like, well, you did that again. 
it's just not fulfilling artistically or personally. Mm-hmm. It, right, well, continuing to discover and grow and find new experiences and as an actor and new emotions that are accessible, like yes. we were talking about earlier, you have to keep challenging yourself. And it is often those roles that you resist. Yeah. That for me, if I feel resistant to something, that's usually exactly what I need to explore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just the way it is in real yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, going back to the dark side, it was the dark thing we were talking about, about easily embracing the dark. Mm-hmm. That there are... Yeah, there are many, many aspects of that that I really, um, and I think one of the the things that I enjoy and, and relate to is not, there's always a reason why someone is a bad guy. You know, they're, they're, they're outside sources, and inside sources too, that, that are the reason for that. Mm-hmm. Don John in Much Ado. Mm-hmm. You're called a bastard from the day you're born. It's going to influence you. Mm-hmm. Finding that, and I think, I think people see, oh, Tim doesn't judge that. Finding that... The humanity and the villain. Is, is the yeah. reason. And I, there's only been yeah. one time that I really, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't figure him out. And it was what was that? Red Light Winter. Playing Davis in Red Light Winter. And he was just... Uh, what's, that, what's the story? It's who an is, Adam Rapp play, and he... Um, it was Azeotrope. Richard Sloniker and Des Chang directed it, and Mario Neto, who's down in L.A. now. It was just a three-person play, mm-hmm. and uh, my character has stolen his best friend's girlfriend and has taken him to Amsterdam to buy him a prostitute to help him forget, and that's what happens in the first act. The second act is set back in New York. This prostitute shows up at the other character's door thinking it's my apartment. I lied to her and said that this is where I live. He's fallen in love with her, she's fallen in love with me. And Davis was just um, one of the most selfish, self-centered people that I have ever encountered. And I was a dick during that process. I mean, I was not taking on those misogynistic views and really just, and I couldn't, um, I couldn't figure out what I liked about him. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, Mm. I couldn't suss it out. And I was having a hard time. Finally, two days before we opened, I wasn't sleeping, and I was things were just bad. And I was like, "That's that's what I can glom onto. That I admire this guy's confidence. That's the one thing." And I called Des and Richard and Mariel with what I thought was a reasonable hour at like five thirty in the morning, <laughs> and said, "Shit's changing. It, uh, the lines will be the same, and the blocking will be the same, but shit's changing." And that's been the one time that I really uh, had a hard time with a, with a quote-unquote bad guy. Uh-huh. That was frightening for everybody. Do you feel like you came out of that process having learned... I mean, it sounds like that's a pretty great lesson. And, like... Yeah. And, and a thing I mean, to, Did you know before that you needed to have something you liked about a character? I think that's an interesting way to put it, like finding something that you like about them. Or admire, I guess. Yeah, I don't that's think, it, I don't think you, it's a... It was a, it, it, at least it's never been a conscious thing. It was uh-huh. like, ooh, where do I, it's more, I usually can relate um, in one way or another. To yeah. What this person is yeah. going through or is going right. through or what form. That I'm, empathy. Yep. For, yeah. And this one, I, I couldn't. Uh-huh. And I mean, that's what's great about working with directors over and over in that um, I, I, was, I was having a hard time 
with Lucio and Measure for Measure as well. Because I was like, well, he's kind of funny, but he's not. He's kind of a dick, but he's not. <laughs> and then I don't know what happened. Something a couple of days before we had our first audience, something just kind of clicked. And this is why I love honest uh, directors in that opening night, Des Chang, who directed it, um, you know, I had a few drinks at, at the after party, and she pulls me aside, and I, I love her as a person, I love her as a director, and I love the fact that she has, can be honest with me in that she's like, wow, Tim. Didn't know if you were going to get there. And I, I started laughing so hard in that it was like, I wasn't offended. I was like, sure. shit, neither did I. Yeah. I, was like, I don't yeah. know Well, you know when something's not working. Yeah. Like, and she and sucks. I mean, and that's that's what's great about any director. And I keep, you know, going back to Des because yeah. they're yeah. consistent. We worked together a few times. Um, when... People realize sort of that's for me a great director, and Sean is great at it too. She knows people's different personalities. Mm-hmm. What someone if someone needs a little push, someone needs to be coddled, someone needs this. I need uh, a little bit of trust and um, a whole lot of making fun of me, <laughs> and then kept giving me a really hard kick in the ass. Hmm. And pressure and fear is what really motivates me at times, where it's like oh. This is, this is not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes back to what we started with, that idea of really staying in the moment, not being about me, um, and that's when I think things are most successful. Interesting to know that about your process. And, you know, it's so, it can be really, it's hard for me to, like, know what my process is. And yeah. It's different for every role. Yeah. But, yeah, having those directors who... It's such a gift to have a director who you've worked with. They know how you work. They give you room to do that. Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, and I've been very, very fortunate when it comes to directors and fellow cast. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very, very, I'm very, very grateful on the daily for so much. Um, you know, most, everything. I mean, the, the whole artistry. My wife seeing something, you know, in me that I was like, I didn't know that existed. Okay, great. Um, my life changing immeasurably over the last, you know, five years. I'm, I'm, I'm a very, very fortunate and grateful dude. That's all. Yeah, I've been lucky. What are some of your favorite roles that you've played or, or most favorite, not necessarily being easiest, but, you know, what informed you as an actor and kind of growing I loved, experiences. I loved playing Shakespeare in a play called Swan Song mm. that we did, uh, a three-hander. Getting to play Hal in Henry IV, one and two. That's such an amazing arc. Yeah. I, you know, I, I look back and, and I think more of experiences as a whole uh-huh. than I do roles. How so? Those are the things that are most formative and most important to me. The, 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 exper- the, the context as a whole, looking back, uh-huh. one of my best experiences um, was doing Stuff Happens. And huh. I, I played a bunch of tiny little roles. Yeah, there are a bunch. I was, um, I was the reader 
for that show. And they were having a hard time finding one last character. And the director, Victor Pappas, was, said, he called from New York. And he said, well, why don't we just cast him? Mm. He's been, he can do every single dialect because he's played everybody <laughs> in the reading from George Bush to Tony yeah. Blair to... So for a little bit of backstory, Stuff Happens is a play about... David um, Hare. His David idea. Hare. Uh, it's lots of political figures mm-hmm. um, and kind of the decisions made around... Um, First invasion of Afghanistan, yeah? Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. I did that one in college, too. Um, and sort of his, taken from documented things, and yeah. also sort of his, his ideas of what yeah. might have transpired behind the scenes. It's an interesting play. It's a lot of real characters yep. that there are videos that, like, it's a, that's a totally different process. Yeah. To me. And it, it was. Like, we, that experience mm-hmm. was just amazing. It was wonderful to be a part of. Um, to have that many people that I respect um, mm-hmm. and learning that much and getting to spend time on stage with really, really wonderful people and backstage too. Um, I found out how funny some of these people actually are. At the top of the show... We had to stay in this little airlock room because we used all of the round in an act, and we were we were waiting and we were holding for something. And I don't remember who it was. If it was Marianne Owen or Larry Paulson or Mikey Winters, <laughs> Julie Briskman, Peter Crook, David Pichette, all those guys, Mark Chamberlain, God rest his soul. Um, someone just decided to ask or state, "What is your?" worst one-sentence review you've ever received. And that's the shit that stays with me, that it's like, oh, those experiences. So role-wise, I've never been a, I've never been a big role guy. I've mm. been more of a story guy. Yeah. Um, and looking back, it's the memories of getting to do my first show with, with Richard Sloniker, mm-hmm. um, who's become one of my best friends, getting to do my first show with Chuck Leggett being directed by Sheila Daniels. Those are, are more... And I don't know if I would say the same thing five years ago. I don't know if I'd be like, well, this was great, and this was great, and I was good in mm. that, and this is what, this role, and this role. Yeah. I, I don't... So it's more about the process for you and, and working with other humans and yeah. artists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which by no means, don't get me wrong, it sometimes doesn't frustrate the shit out of me. Right? <laughs> not but we haven't talked about the roles that you really yes. hate, or the experiences that really were not fun. Um, so. No, and, <laughs> obviously. And for yeah. the most part, the, the great outweigh the bad. Yeah. And that's what's great about this town, is that mm. there are more wonderful and actors that happen to also be wonderful people. And there's not a lot of room for bullshit. There's not a lot of room for, and some of my favorite people are are um, not. I wouldn't say considered difficult to work with, but opinionated as hell, and I respect that. And it's like, oh, so we're gonna yell at each other for a little bit here, because what we want is the best for this scene and this play, and then we're done with that. Mm-hmm. Once that's done, it's done, and then you go out to lunch. You go and, or you call them later and say, so how's your husband? How's your wife? You know, those, those types of things. This community, I feel very, very fortunate. 
Yeah, have you have you worked pretty much only in Seattle in your professional career? Have you done Yeah. Have you wanted to go elsewhere or has it as Seattle I mean it seems that you love this community and I this theatrical community is so its own yes, thing. It is. It's different than any other spot in the country, I think. I, I yeah, I mean I have thought about that um I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to actually sort of be honest. I yeah. think I'm a horrible self-promoter. I don't like doing it. I wonder sometimes if my um, personal past has gotten in the way of some things. And then I also wonder, is a lot of it based in fear? In that people know what I can bring here and then to step out and do it someplace else. I don't know if it's fear. I know that I auditioned for OSF 10 years ago and it was horrible and I've been too scared to do it since, which is honestly, it's uh, that's one of the most ludicrous and selfish things that I think I've done in that, in all honesty, no one's going to remember that. You're not that important, Tim. Really. If I look at it, no one's going to remember that you were bad 10 years ago, which is just an egocentric, horrible, selfish way to look at it. In some ways, when you find you're successful here, you work a lot and, you know, that's great. And when you have those connections and already are established in a community, it's, you know, you're fulfilled. If if you are fulfilled as an artist and why? go anywhere else other than to challenge yourself or see, you know, if... Yeah, I think that, I mean, if an opportunity came up to do a show somewhere else, I, I and the story was good, I felt, but yeah, I would, I would absolutely do it. Mm-hmm. My wife is leaving on Sunday to do a show in um, Sun Valley, Idaho for six weeks, and I'm very, I'm extraordinarily proud and slightly envious. There is that if I'm really if I'm honest about it I'm yeah well, what what yeah what a challenge yeah <laughs> that is with Let's... friends and and lovers yeah you know it's you you of course are supportive and stoked and like yes go awesome yeah but we're also all human yeah and... <laughs> that human part sucks sometimes I feel like this is taking a dark turn of like as a confessional of Tim Gowan I'm sorry <laughs> Jesus. Anything that you, we can, we can take out anything that you want to take out, but I I think it's, I have no problem. I think it's fascinating and, and I, you know, I'm coming into this new part of life of being done with school and looking at where my, what's, where, what's the best place for me to go to kind of launch my career? Is it, is it here? I'm from the area and, you know, have we run the Shakespeare Festival in my hometown, and we're growing, and it's yeah. amazing. But like, there's all these questions of too. Of course, and, and that's that's where I'm finding is that the artistic fulfillment is much more important to me than either people seeing it or acknowledging it. Uh huh. And that's why I've always. And don't get me wrong, I'm very grateful when people come to the theater. I'm so, and I, I'm so grateful for it. And performances are fine. 
It's not my thing. Hmm. I prefer rehearsals. But, yeah. I prefer figuring it out. Mm-hmm. I prefer figuring out who this person is, what this story is, how they relate to the other people there. And I, I, I hope people come and see on movies. I really do. And I hope they enjoy it. Yeah. Really yeah. 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 Right. Mm-hmm. God, I hope that didn't sound artistically snobby. No, I don't. I don't think so at all. Really? I think. Pretentious dick. I, I mean, we have to. We have to find fulfillment from that alone and not be driven by what people say about the work because yeah. then, then yeah. what's the point? Then yeah. we're just like what? wanting and searching for and working for others. And that's what, I mean, and, that's, that's what going back to Mozart and that, yeah. the great thing is, is he is this massive contradiction of um, wanting the art to speak for itself, but also so self-conscious. Yeah. And so afraid of failure. Um, and it's all, that is all based in fear. And then having this massively, um, this huge complex of, of, of his own brilliance. And right. that's where the two opposing factors are just, they're... Right, well, it's what we were talking about with what he had to do and what he needed to do yes. and the responsibility of fame and when yep. you are, that there is an element of you have to create something that people will continue to like yes. and support. Whereas if you don't have that responsibility and you can create the art that you need to create... Yes, I mean, it's, it's, like the, there's freedom in that. The thing with him, and and I, I mean, I, by no means am I ever just going to say that I've a lot in common with him, but <laughs> that that need of the dismissal of what people think juxtaposed with the massive need for acceptance, and it's been I probably if I really look at it a part of my life any. I can't talk about any other artist because I don't know. It's just such a driving force. And the hard thing is when, in my mental state, the good thing is when I don't see it. But then when I do see it, that's what really troubles me. And, and the good thing about this play and the way it's been written is that it's a constant need for acceptance from Salieri as a father figure from his father from the court and then being so pissed when that doesn't happen uh, that they don't understand and as I said I'm, I, I don't have the genius gene but I, I understand that I don't want these people to have I don't want to have to have these people accept me but god damn it I really really want it no, that's that's where I think I have the most in common with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. it absolutely makes sense. It's that artistic struggle. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, I think it's interesting that our conversation naturally came around to that with you as an actor and and you know your career, mm-hmm. and then that connection is like super clear. Yeah, like oh, yeah. he's also yeah. experiencing that. Yeah, and. Yeah. I Who would have thunk? Tim Gowery <laughs> and Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart having things in common. Not <laughs> a lot of people. Not a lot of people would have thunk it. <laughs> well, do you have any 
advice for other actors in Seattle and theater artists in Seattle and or or not in Seattle elsewhere just at this point in your career and looking back on kind of how you've gotten here and I, yeah I, well I mean I don't obviously take that all with a grain of salt but uh, my one of my favorite actors in town Peter Crook I was going into an audition once and he just he just said it sort of just offhand he didn't didn't it wasn't like a piece of advice or any like a way to live your artistic life but it's it, it totally stuck with me and I try and do that I'm walking to this audition and he just turns to me and says hey Tim be bold and unapologetic that to me was it was a gut shot of yeah, don't. Yeah. You, are you getting weepy? Just no. You're getting weepy. That's so great because that. I mean, that is. You don't have to be a dick, but be bold and unapologetic. Don't worry about what other people think about you. That really kind of changed things. What me. an awesome thing to hear right as you're gonna go audition. Yeah. And he all did, right. And that yeah, was so I will. Great in that he's so wonderful yeah. as an actor and so wonderful as a as a person. To just have that be sort of something that was, and I don't know if somebody said that to him back in the day, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, that it was a gut shot at the time and it resonates with me to this day. So. That's great. That's a perfect note to end on, I think. Wipe my tears. Does this happen often in your. Do you get a little weepy? In these? Yeah. No. Really? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't. Uh, maybe when Katie interviewed me, that might have happened, but no. It's just it's poignant. It's real poignant. <laughs> Be bold and unapologetic. It's true. Sick. I love it. Great. Well, thank you so much. For tickets, people can go to um, Seattle, Seattle Public, Public Theater. Theater website. Dot org. Thank you for... Yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure.